0: Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. With me today are Carly Mossbrook of Capital Wire. Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And Liz Navratil of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and Philly Inquirer.
1: Thanks for having me. Alrighty,
0: Guys, so this is also like the youth delegation of the newsroom, which is fun. Um, <laughs> and
1: a, a female delegation of right. the newsroom, <laughs> part exactly. of
0: it. Exactly. Um, so it's been a really quiet week, but a couple of things going on. Uh, namely, there were elections. Not super important elections, if we're being totally honest, but all elections are important and worth talking about on some level, so we're going to do that. Um it was all judicial races um you know there were some mayoral races around the state but we'll talk about the statewide ones uh two one seat for the supreme court four seats for the superior court two seats for the commonwealth court and then some lower courts i think that was and all correct, some retention
1: right? races for various yes. folks yeah yeah yes.
0: some retention races which i think everybody was retained who wanted to be
1: yep. yes
0: so all the people who uh, were elected, and he contested race, it was all women who were elected, which I think was a significant thing. Uh, this election was also seen as a pretty good one for Democrats. Um, you guys both covered that. I mean, did you have any like major takeaways from what happened?
2: Um, I definitely thought it was interesting that all women were elected to um to to the top courts. Um, it was a mix of Republicans and Democrats, so there wasn't necessarily a trend there, but I always find it interesting that uh, in Pennsylvania there's so many, such great representation of women in the judicial branch um, compared to the legislative branch. So uh, that was definitely something that caught my eye yeah. and my angle of reporting. Um, but yeah, I think those were. That uh, was probably the
1: most interesting trend
2: I saw. Yeah, and just to bring it up, yeah, go ahead, Liz.
1: Um, one thing that was interesting about these judicial races is we're talking about the appellate courts, like the higher level. Um, courts, and I spoke to a, a woman who works at Chatham University who really specializes at looking at women in politics, and she had pointed out that this isn't necessarily new at those court levels that women are taking away these races, but we talked about how that really hasn't translated to, say, the legislature, where women are still by far the minority. Yeah. Or even to the lower, like the common police courts and the magisterial district courts that are really hyper locally focused. Yeah, um,
0: that's interesting. Did, it was was there any idea of why that was?
1: There are a lot of different theories on that. Um, apparently, there are some political psychologists who have actually put out paperwork that shows that voters might have a positive stereotype of women um, that benefits them at some of these judicial races in the sense that they tend to be seen as more fair or more just by some segments of the population. Um, And I also reached out to the parties, and the state Republicans had said, like, you know, we do make an effort to try to retain women, but it's often easier for judicial races than, say, for offices in Harrisburg because some people complain about not wanting to spend time away from the families. Oh, okay. But then you ask the Democrats and they say, you know, especially with the rise of Donald Trump, we haven't really seen that holding back women as often as it used to. So there's no, like, one clear answer, but clearly a lot of theories floating around out there.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the rise of Donald Trump, just talking about a lot of these local races, we did see a lot of, you know, contested races, especially for Democrats, more, I think, than we usually do. And not the Democrats all won those races where they were running. Thank you. I just got a coffee, but uh, <laughs> not the Democrats all won. But there were more people who were filling in these ballots than there have been, in especially in off-year elections. So uh, I think that's a significant thing to point to. And then broadening it out, because we heard a lot. Um, I think anybody who's listening probably kind of got this sense of like the narrative. There's always like a quote-unquote narrative that emerges from these things, and. After this one, it really was that, like, Democrats had done very well. Um, They got a couple, you know, big gubernatorial races in New Jersey and in Virginia. Um, I mean, it's early to say, but, like, do we think that that actually does have a bearing on, like, the gubernatorial race we're expecting?
1: I mean, I think it's definitely a factor people are talking about. Like, if you look at some of the local races, there were some in the southeastern part of the state that went to Democrats that people didn't necessarily expect to go to Democrats. Yeah. Or if you look in Pittsburgh's local elections, there were a couple that actually went to Democratic Socialists of America, which I think shocked a lot of people. Yeah.
0: Um, That happened in Virginia as well. There was one that got elected to the House of, I think, delegates, they call it, in Virginia. Yeah. Right. I think we
2: saw a lot of diversity in this election across the the country. I mean, we saw some of the first transgender politicians elected to office. Um, We saw a a Sikh um, politician as well. We saw lots of women, Mm -hmm. um, diversity in Virginia. There was um, a few Hispanic women that were elected to office. I think that there was some surge of, you know, kind of branching out and and, uh, recognizing different cultures and different people um, this election season. And, and, and I, I'm curious to see if we'll see that next year as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We also, to, I think it's important to know Larry Krasner got elected DA of Philadelphia. He's a real a liberal yeah. activist, really. That's He was like an activist type lawyer. Um, and people had seen him initially as a long shot candidate, but he took it away. Uh, so uh, an interesting election, sort of I mean I think it just people are already looking ahead to next year seeing how this factors in for next year. Obviously so much could happen before then. but uh, you know we'll be watching. we're going to start seeing a lot of polling coming out on this stuff as well in the next couple of months. So that's something to watch. And speaking of next year's election, we had a little bit of a development with this last week. Liz you and I were there uh, yesterday morning. Uh, Scott Wagner announced himself a running mate. Why is that unusual? <laughs>
1: So in Pennsylvania, we technically vote for the governor and the lieutenant governor separately in the primary. Um, Scott Wagner came forward and said, hey, I'm running on a... I guess they described it kind of like a combined ticket, um, with Jeff Bartos, who is a guy who has been known, as far as I understand, within Republican circles, but who hasn't run for office before this year. Um, He was running for U.S. Senate and dropped out to run as lieutenant governor.
0: Yeah, so that was a surprise. <laughs> it was a surprise. As well. and he also did. He like made a point of saying, "I'm not doing this just to clear the field for Lou Barletta, who's running for Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat's seat uh, in the U.S. Senate." But uh, I mean, it does kind of do that. And he acknowledged that this does kind of clear Barletta's way for contesting Casey, sort of a unified GOP opposition to Bob Casey. <laughs> Um, So then kind of going into, so Scott Wagner, I don't know if I introduced him properly, but he's a conservative Republican senator. He is running for governor. He's really kind of emerged as the leading GOP senator, almost as disp- a GOP challenger to Wolf, just kind of by process of there's not a lot of other people. We've got Paul Mango running against him. We've got, what's the lawyer's name? Ellsworth. Yeah. Laura Ellsworth, Ellsworth. yes. Yeah. She's well-known in conservative circles, but again, not super well-known outside of them. Um so, and we're still waiting to see if our speaker, Mike Terzai,
2: is going to throw his hat yeah, in. I it, think that'll be interesting, yeah. I think. He did I think like that'll be his...
1: tease a major announcement on a Twitter account. Yeah. Or his... maybe it wasn't him tweeting, but somebody <laughs> on a Mike Terzai Twitter account. Yeah. it was him or somebody associated with him. Right. Or...
0: So, I mean, you know, God knows if Mike Terzai is going to run, but um, he may. So that'll make everything more interesting. But right now, Scott Wagner has been the loudest Republican voice. And so him picking himself for running me kind of, you know, it's a new development in the race Um, but what was really interesting about uh, I I actually should finish introducing him so he's a made his money in the trash industry. He's from York County, as is Governor Wolf. They're both actually private industry people. Wagner touts himself as a self-made businessman. And that's where this kind of gets interesting, because Wagner has been compared to Donald Trump pretty frequently. Um, And he's embraced that to a certain extent. He's been very openly admiring of the president. Um, He had an
1: interesting tone that he took, I think, uh, in this announcement speech, Liz, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people... um Left his announcement press conference saying, oh, that wasn't quite what I expected. Um, So Scott Wagner is a guy who very early on in his campaign was introduced at a rally as, quote, Donald Trump light, um, which is an idea that I think has been repeated off and on since then and the idea that a lot of people compare him to Donald Trump. So I flat out asked him, Um, you know, keeping in mind these Democratic wins this week and the comparisons to you and Trump, are you concerned about what this might mean for your campaign? And he started off by saying, you know, those are other states. This isn't Pennsylvania. And then he rattled off some differences between him and Donald Trump, saying, you know, Donald Trump came to D.C. sort of cold without the political experience. I've been in Harrisburg three and a half years. He says, you know, Donald Trump is a New York real estate guy. I'm a York County guy. Um, So he sort of did make an effort to show he's not a clone of Donald Trump. Yeah. But then at the end, another reporter asked him, okay, if you do win the primary, would you like to see Donald Trump come to Pennsylvania to campaign for you? And I believe his exact words were proud and honored. Um, And then he made a point to say that he supports some of Donald Trump's positions on issues like North Korea, for example. And he actually said something to the effect that Donald Trump wants to make America great again and I want to make Pennsylvania greater again. Um, So he's sort of borrowing from Donald Trump's campaign lines. So it's this really interesting dance of, you know, still being a strong, ardent Trump supporter, but also not wanting to be... 100 percent the clone of Donald Trump. Right, right. And I think that was different from some of the stereotypes that exist, accurate or not, um, about Scott Wagner. Right, right. And yeah, gonna
2: say? Yeah, I think that a lot of people compare Scott Wagner to Donald Trump um, merely for the fact that he, he's a Republican and he goes against the grain of the, you know, of, of government. He, yeah. he goes against the status quo. He thinks that things that. I would say he, he, he thinks that we need to drain the swamp. Yeah, he, um, and he said that. And, and he's, there. Yeah, and he said that. So he's definitely picked up on a lot of the same rhetoric that Donald Trump has. But, you know, he does have that political experience. He won a special election and then was then reelected to the Senate. And he's made a name for himself. He definitely has. And I, I think that there are some differences between them. But in the current political climate, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of comparisons. And yeah. I think the Democrats, a lot of the time, they push that um, as maybe a way to, you know, turn some people against him. Um, but I think, I think we'll see as uh, his campaign kind of gets rolling a little bit more what his policy initiatives will be. I think... I think they'll kind of become more clear as we go forward.
1: Yeah. And he is a guy who seems to have a support of a lot of other conservative senators yeah. in Pennsylvania. So he does have this sort of little supportive group who you'll see some of them from time to time at his campaign rallies, right. which I'm sure you see the same thing from other candidates all sure. across the aisle as well. Yeah. Um,
0: But, yeah, you know, Senator David Arkell, he's sort of a prominent uh, conservative senator. He's been supporting Scott Wagner for months. He was uh, at his event yesterday, He was at the event yesterday, yep. And we've seen some other ones. A lot of the very, again, the conservative wing of the House and in the Senate um, seem to be backing Wagner, although there haven't been a lot of specific endorsements yet. But um, I do want to, just one last point on this, because I think this is going to be something we hear about a lot more. It's, um, you know, how broad a base these guys need in order to win uh, a statewide election in Pennsylvania. And you see this in a lot of states. People who go on the Trump line very strongly, I think they're... People say there may be a ceiling for them for how much of a vote they can get because Donald Trump is approval ratings hovering below 40 percent right now. Uh, He didn't win Pennsylvania by a large margin at all. So, you know, there are questions about whether or not these guys can, you know, take the Trump line to victory or if they need to have slightly wider approval. Um, Which, you know, may be what Scott Wagner's trying to do. I don't want to, you know, cast any aspersions or anything because it is so early. But um, I think that's going to be something to watch, how closely these guys skew to the Trump line.
1: Yeah, That's a question everybody who's doing a national race or a statewide race is thinking about. Exactly.
0: That's been really tough for the GOP. All right. So that's races. You're going to hear so much more about those that you're going to (laughs) be sick of it, so we'll cut it off there for now. The election season never ends. (laughs) It's never ending. Um, All right, so Carly, you've had a really interesting story that I've been, like, asking you about for two weeks, I feel like, now, because I just think this is the most ridiculous thing. Um, But but, So the severance tax, and... for background if you're not familiar with the severance tax. Uh, Lawmakers have been trying to get this thing over the finish line for a long time. It's supported by Democrats and a bunch of moderate Republicans. It would put an additional tax on the oil and gas industry on gas extracted from the ground. We already have an impact fee on wells drilled, so this would be a new thing. Um, It's very, very strongly contested by a lot of Republicans, conservative ones, especially House Speaker Mike Terzai, especially, especially. Um, And it it finally got through a committee after literally years of them trying to do it, right? Yeah. And so now, what's it doing right now? We haven't seen it again.
2: Yes, we haven't seen it quite yet, but we may. Um, It's a big may. (laughs) Um, It's a possibility. Uh, It is currently on the calendar for when the House returns to session on November 20th, two days before Thanksgiving. Um, But they will only be in session for two days, and so... We're kind of wondering, will they be able to tackle this? We know that, um, well, we we can assume that there will be a lot of debate on this tax um, because it has been such a controversial issue over, geez, you know, I've been in the Capitol a short amount of time, but I've heard that this has been, you know, over a decade, this has been in the making. And um, one of the most interesting things that I have found is there are many, many, many amendments to this bill. <laughs> How um, many amendments, Carly? <laughs> well, last count, it was more than 370. So that's, um, that's a lot. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I haven't refreshed the legislative page to uh, see what new ones have been added because I've been trying to just you know get through all of those. It's about 1,900 pages plus of, uh, of amendments. Some of them are longer than others. We just um, have to give Carly credit because literally for the past was it two weeks now, yeah, you've been going yeah.
0: through 1,900 <laughs> pages of amendments.
2: Yeah, it's been interesting. It's it's um, I don't know. It's it was kind of like an interesting activity and in just seeing um, what people want. Yeah. Um, a lot of the things aren't even related to the severance tax. Um, some things are, so it's interesting to see how they want certain things to be tweaked within the legislation that currently exists, um, and what other broader tax changes they would like to see, I ended up categorizing them. You know, I had to go through and come up with some sort of system, and so I have the severance tax-related amendments, and I have the non-severance tax-related amendments. Because it's a tax code, other things can be included. Right. And And so um, I do want to
0: say, so, like, when you have this many amendments on a piece of legislation, like, you know... There is, you get a sense that it's for a reason. Um, a lot of people are saying this is just going to slow the bill down, right? Is that, I mean, kind of what you've taken from this? Yeah,
2: yeah. I um, I definitely have spoken to one or two um, House Democrats who have said that this is definitely to kill the bill. Yeah. That a lot of the things that they're hoping to include are things that would turn everyone against it. And um, and then, you know, there's obviously a lot of lawmakers that just want to make it better. Or, you know, this is a tax code bill, so they want to go beyond that and change other things within the tax code that they think is important and will help Pennsylvanians. So there, it's kind of both. It, it's yeah. hard to tell. And, you know, it's hard to judge people's motives. Um, they haven't caucused on this yet. We don't know. Uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of the sponsors, and they've told me why they've introduced this. No one's going to come out right and say I'm doing this to kill the bill. So it remains to be seen. But there's a lot of different interesting things in it. Um, just to run through a few. Yeah. Um,
1: I was shocked at some of them when she was listing them off <laughs> the other day in the office. So brace yourselves. Yeah, yeah. these are some
0: weird ones.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, right off the bat, I guess. Some of the ones that you could expect um, are ones that re- would repeal the impact fee currently paid by natural gas producers right. if the severance tax is imposed. They think that it is you know, burdensome to have both. And so if the severance tax were to go through, there are certain amendments that would then um, dissolve the impact fee. Which I assume municipal governments will not be a huge fan of, right? Um, and yeah. there are other ones. Um, I know when there was another severance tax bill that was moving through the House before, that when it reached the House Environmental Resources and Energy Committee, that um, there was an amendment to the bill that was approved that would just change the name of the um, impact fee to a severance tax. Well, yeah. that's in here, too. <laughs> we have that effort again. Because uh, One Democrat at the time called it a rebranding exercise, so, I mean, call it what you will. Yeah. Yep. But um, there's another amendment that um, you could expect in most legislation that um, that says that if a court rules that the um, severance tax is unconstitutional, um, that producers who paid the severance tax will um, be reimbursed with... An extra five percent interest on ah, top. Ah, that'd be so yeah. much money. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a lot of money to pay back, I assume. But oh my um, God. and other ones have severability clauses um, that if the um, if the severance tax is voided, that other provisions would then dissolve as right. well. Um, Correct me
1: if I'm wrong, but isn't there some stuff in there like unrelated that looks at like increasing personal income taxes right. so or abortion? Yeah. Right?
0: So that's yeah. The, the next category that you have there. Yeah, right? that was one of the like. So These were all kind of normal ones that you would expect on lots of legislation. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Um, Some of the kind of, I call them the juicier ones, that's (laughs) just been my term recently, are ones that um, would change the effective date or create an expiration date for the tax. Those kind of caught my eye. Um, One would push back... so with the expiration date,
0: would it just be like, this tax is only good until, like, tomorrow, and then it...
2: (laughs) Um, Not necessarily. Um, One of them is it would only be good until... it would only be, it would expire as soon as the Delaware River Basin Commission votes to impose a moratorium on drilling and fracking in the basin. Right, so
0: that's one of those things where it's just like, that's not that's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah.
2: And um, another one would actually um, create an expiration date of June 30th of 2019, unless every eligible member of the General Assembly signed up for a certain pension plan. So, those are interesting. But um, I think the uh, effective date was one of the ones that caught my eye. It's an amendment that would delay the effective date, so no one would have to pay the severance tax until the state bans abortions after 20 weeks. Right, which is fully Um, related to
0: taxing the oil and gas.
2: Oh, of course, of course. Um, You know, that was an effort that had been you know, moving through the Senate earlier this session. They're trying to reduce it from 24 weeks to 20 weeks, so clearly someone thinks that this is something that they want to include in the severance tax. Right. Um, There are and oh my gosh, so many other ones I don't even. it's hard Again, to know we're where talking to start. about over
0: three hundred amendments. Yeah, right.
2: yeah. Some of them would reduce the tax over time, so you know whatever the rate is currently, in five years it would decrease, in ten years it would decrease, fifteen years. There's a lot of different variations, and that's something that I found. A lot of them are kind of repetitive with just simple changes. Keeping um,
1: track of when this would be effective sounds a little like trying to gauge when the produce in your fridge is going to go bad. Like. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, one of the ones I found especially interesting is one that would, um, provide local governments the authority to approve the severance tax. Um... That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's It's a different approach, um... We'll see. We'll see how kind of, that I mean, pans It's out. kind
0: of the same thing that people would do with, like, the gambling legislation that we have now. It gives local governments the option to yeah. basically opt out of doing this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very similar to yeah. that. Um, other ones would just direct the revenue to different sources. Currently, it's going to the general fund. Some of them would go to property tax relief fund, veterans programs. Um, uh, some would go to DEP to speed up permit reviews. That has been a huge issue with a lot of Republicans um, in both chambers that they – DEP to work a little bit faster to um, review these permits and issue approvals. And so there are a lot of um, amendments related to regulation changes and permitting processes yeah. within DEP. But one of the issues you run into there is the state cons- constitution requires legislation to be related to one topic. And um, so the speaker, you know, technically has the authority to rule a lot of these amendments out of order. Um, it's always a possibility. From what I've been told, they haven't caucused on any of these, so we don't know that quite yet. But, I mean, um, I would assume that anything to do with abortion or, like,
0: you know, maybe property taxes, like a lot of that would automatically be ruled out of order, right? Um
2: With the property taxes, maybe not uh, maybe because, because it is a tax code. Um, and that is something that there are there plenty go. of amendments on, um, reducing the personal income tax, the sure. corporate net income tax, you know, creating exemptions within the sales tax for Christmas trees, for guns, for... Oh my gosh! There's so many. Um, I, those are the two on the top Christmas of my head trees, for my Christmas goodness. trees. Yes. Um, there's, there's gotta there. be an interested party somewhere. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you find out who inserted the Christmas tree, clause? is it possible to trace that back? I, mean, I don't know of any existing bill that switches Christmas tree. Yeah.
2: Um, the name is not coming to me at the moment, but right. I'll get back to you. Well, I, I have someone. On, I have someone in mind, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Right. Speak.
1: So
0: no, that's I and mean, you. Carly's going to have a story out on this in yeah, which she's talked She's working on talking to a lot of these lawmakers about why they put these in. So if you're looking for that component of the story, it's coming. I think definitely read her story on Capital Wire. Subscribe to Capital Wire yes, if you don't already. Please,
1: please do. <laughs> she's gonna plug
0: for Capital Wire. They do great work. Um, but so yeah, okay. So moving forward now, a lot of these may be ruled out of order. Probably not the tax ones, but like stuff about abortion, maybe about the Delaware River Basin and that kind of thing. So I mean, you know what's the process going forward.
2: Um, well, I mean, it really remains to be seen if they take this up. This could, you know, this effort that I have put into this could really be pointless um, if this never comes up. Which, you know, uh, that's fine. I'll I'll take it. but the first <laughs> or last time a
1: journalist does that, it'll be a lesson
2: learned. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I guess we'll see. Um, you know, they come back to session November 20th. They're in for two days that Monday and Tuesday. Um, they could, you know, try to buckle down and and get to this. House Republican leadership is not a fan and they will have to be the ones to call it up so that kind of remains to be seen but when they do bring it up it will definitely be a matter of caucusing on it, maybe trying to narrow these down to things that you know, people have a lot of support for, yeah. um, and then just getting on the floor and really spending the time debating. And <laughs> I think it's going to be a very, a very long process. Yeah,
0: and I think the point of like we're concentrating on this right now because I want to like bring home the fact that this is not an easy bill to pass. It's never going to be no. an easy bill to pass. And even so, once we get through all these amendments, there are additional problems. And we kind of touched on this, and I think we've talked about it in previous podcasts. But when we vote on the severance tax, we never just vote on the severance tax. We vote on, as you mentioned permitting changes that go along yeah. with that, A lot of Republican votes are incumbent on the fact that these permitting changes are in there, and a lot of Democratic votes are incumbent on the fact that the permitting changes are not there. Yeah. Um, a lot of what, you know, the Senate passed a severance tax bill that would have basically outsourced uh, a lot of environmental permitting to, like, literally outside agencies and not had the state do it anymore. People hated that. Yeah. Democrats did
1: anyway. Yeah. This is an issue where I would say if you're really interested in learning how your local person votes on it. I would encourage people to look at more than just the vote and to see if their particular people have made any statements as to why they voted that way, because there might be some people who are very strong for a severance tax but who think the changes in environmental regulations or in permitting would make it, even worse right. or have worse yeah, impact.
2: Yeah, it's and, not a straightforward issue. No. Yeah, and like you said, the Senate, as part of their revenue package to close out the budget um, earlier this year um, during the summertime, they had, they had um, those regulation and permitting changes within their severance tax portion, right. and one thing I had spoken to ad- environmental advocates about was the fact that... Does that go against the state constitution regarding the one subject rule? Yeah, um, because you're talking about a tax, and then you're talking about regulations for a, a state agency. And with that legislation, it was the passage of the severance ca- tax was contingent on those regulation changes right. happening. Yeah, but someone could have challenged it in the courts. I mean, we won't know. Obviously. Well, and I'm sure
0: if that had gotten gotten further, it would have been challenged in the courts. Yeah. Because everything is challenged in the courts, but it's controversial. Um, And then, yeah, we also get into the fact that, like, this bill, that the House's version of the bill that they have in play now doesn't include permitting changes, but a lot of people vote on it like it does because they assume those are going to be added later. We saw um, an effort to discharge of previous version of the bill onto the House floor didn't include permitting changes, but a lot of people voted no on it just because they knew those were coming. You know what I mean? So, I mean, this is just, oh God, there's a reason why
2: they've been trying to get this bill passed for 10 years unsuccessfully. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a tough vote for a lot of people to put up and, you know, they want it a certain way and a lot of Democrats don't want to, um, they don't want to... Kind of cave on just allowing these regulation changes to happen because they they really believe that these are damaging to the environment that yeah. there are going to be some bad outcomes from it. So it, it's 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 uh, I do not envy them. I do not envy them at all. It's a challenging uh, it's a challenging issue to take on. Yeah. All right, so I hope
0: that gave somebody a sense of, like, how convoluted state government can get sometimes. And yes. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, I don't want to say self-defeating, but self-defeating on uh, getting issues done it can be at times.
2: Um, yeah, they're making law for millions of citizens, you know, like they, they want to do their due gil- diligence. Some of them have priorities that differ from others, and it's, it's a process. Sometimes it's hard to you know, be a witness for, but.
0: <laughs> well, again, big shout out to Carly for literally going through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents Yeah, last couple of weeks.
2: There are some fun ones, so look out for my story. There are some uh, even better ones that I, I hope people will maybe take notice of. Yeah,
0: and we'll hear some nice rationale for some lawmakers about why yeah. they put abortion into a severance tax bill. All right, anything you guys are looking at in the next couple of weeks?
2: The Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. No, my focus is mostly on following this. Um, there are some Senate meetings next week that are happening, um, some PASHI-related um Hearings and uh, yeah, I guess we'll kind of see what their game plan is next week. It'll oh, the be state, interesting yeah, higher education,
1: too. To see, I think some people are starting to view next year's election year as starting to <laughs> gear up now that we're days less than a week past <laughs> the right. most recent election. Yeah, no, 2018
0: elections have started,
1: right? Um. Madeline Dean, who I think some people view as sort of a little bit of an up-and-comer in the House, has expressed some interest um, at looking at whether she would potentially run for lieutenant governor, says that she hopes to have a decision by December 1st. Um, There's, of course, the Mike Stack question. Right, current lieutenant governor. Will he attempt? Will he not? um, There have been rumors of some other candidates, so we'll see who who comes or it doesn't in the coming weeks but yeah. i think in the political circles the next election season has begun
2: uh. oh for sure for sure <laughs> and thankfully we have closed out the budget for this year so we have a few months to to wait for the next one yeah. it's, it's only three but <laughs> we will uh, we will enjoy that Stay time tuned for
0: that it's like, good. yeah
2: and we're constantly picking through like little nuggets that are within the budget that recently passed yeah. um so look out for those, yeah. too. We're
0: still waiting for some revenue components to come in. Gaming's still up in the air. A giant borrow from the state is still kind of up in the air. So stay tuned. Whenever we figure out what's happening, you'll you'll know about it.
2: Yeah, yeah you just roll with it.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, really appreciate it. Again, Liz Navratil, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Billy Inquirer, Carly Mossbrook with Capital Wire. Guys, have a good weekend. Thank
2: you. Very I appreciate it. it.